welcome into the show, everybody. We are glad to have you. Thank you for listening, and we are literally coming in hot tonight. It's been quite the day for everyone, and you've probably already noticed that uh, you're not hearing the the smooth, monotone voice of our fearless leader. Unfortunately, uh, Ryan is not able to make it tonight, so I'm your guest host, Lance Jones, and around the table with me to my left is Adam Ray. Hello. Kyle Binkley. Hello, hello. And Daniel Knox. Hi. <laughs> and we have a special treat for everyone tonight. We have a uh, very, very special guest that we'll get to in a little bit. I wanted to start things off with a quick question of the day. This is kind of going to be like a tree falling in the forest question. In fact, it, this may become the new tree falling in a forest question. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see if, uh, you know, see if it hits home with everybody. With the being fall break... Um, Let's see if this resonates with anybody. So here's the question. If you're speeding through a school zone and the lights are flashing, but school is not in session <laughs> because of fall break, are you breaking the law? Full speed ahead. That's what I say. Let her rip. Yeah, no, unless you're breaking the law that exists when it's not a school zone, then no, you're not breaking the law. That's yeah. from a school administrator, so I'm taking mm-hmm. that to go. Yeah, yeah. If I get pulled over, I'll quote Daniel on that <laughs> yes, one. But yeah. I've always wondered that, that. <laughs> and I'm like, how hard is it just to turn the lights off? Yeah, you I know? feel like it's on a, I guess it's on a timer, I and guess, they don't. Yeah. So you're, don't you're talking it. about like a fall break or something. You're not talking yeah, about like, like, like yeah. mid-July. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like fall break, like this week, like I'm driving, the lights are still on. I just don't understand why it's so hard to just lazy. turn the lights off. Yeah. But anyways, I always wondered that, so I'm glad. I'm now glad we're all on the same page. Yeah, uh, yeah now we know. Yeah, just drive on, drive on through. I think you can do, actually go faster if you're on if it's on fall break than the posted speed limit. I don't know about that. You can probably do 70 through there. Yeah. Right? We're going to get some letters. Yeah, fines. Well, before I get too far into this, um, y'all roasted me last week for not being here, so does anybody want to take a stab at Ryan for not, for not being here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, let's stab away. I mean, what, what was his line last week? Or was that Adam's line? that? Uh, <laughs> oh, Adam got me pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember what my line was. What was it? I don't know. It you good. were like, you, uh, you, you've you, committed to be here oh, for well, a podcast. I focused heavily on the commitment <laughs> but, portion. Well, know. this is the truth of it. We all had a higher level of respect for you, Lance, because you took the right direction. It was your wife's birthday party, correct? Celebration. Correct. I mean, there's it's no a party. More. We didn't. We didn't get invited to a party. <laughs> yeah, party of a, two. Yeah, a party of two. That's the best kind of party. But in this case, our reports are coming in that he's working. Yeah. So. So he's not he, near as noble. He's actually working for his real job to yeah. make money to support his family. So, good on you, Ryan. Yeah, sure. Unless you want this to be your full time job. This yeah. is more of a labor of love. A massive labor of love. But again, we see who's really committed. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> I would like to say that my perfect attendance is still intact. Me and you, Kyle. You and Adam, y'all last man standing. Let's see how long that lasts. All right, guys. So super excited for today's episode. We have a jam-packed show. Uh, As previously mentioned, Cameron just walked in. She is our special guest, Cameron Dunlap. And we're going to start the show off by getting to know her with a little game we like to play called the two-minute drill. And then after that, uh, this month, uh, in, in honor of October being Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, we'll actually be hearing from Cameron as she tells the story of her daughter, Cora, and why this month is uh, near and dear to her heart. Let's get the show started. Let's roll. <laughs>
right, Cameron. So we're going to play the two-minute drill now, and this is just a way for the audience to get to know you. We call it the two-minute drill, but it's actually only 90 seconds, kind okay. of uh, misleading there. Mm-hmm. We're dumb Southerners. <laughs> yeah. So uh, are you game? Yes, ready. All right. So Kyle's got the timer ready going. The timer. Adam's going to ask the questions. I think we're good to go. Kyle, you want to count them down? Count them down. Three, two, one. All right, Cameron. Where were you born? Winston-Salem, North Carolina. What do you do for a living? Uh, currently, I'm staying home with my daughter, Clara. How long have you been married? Almost 10 years. Who wears the pants in your family? Oh, my God. 50-50 <laughs> split. One leg each. Based on looks alone, who amongst us would you trust to change your tire? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> She's stumped. It's Lance. We all know it's Lance. No. I thought she was going to go with Kyle. He's a little more rugged looking. Oh. <laughs> you know? It's my lack of no, I'm beer. going with you. Oh, that's that's, that's a good choice. Yeah. Wow. Good Daniel. Okay. Yeah. Daniel, sorry. No, I should have. People right. can't. That's all right. We need name tags tonight. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> what was the last book you read? Oh, gosh. I read, oh, I read Option B by Sheryl Sandberg. All right. Uh, was it you? as good as Option A? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> uh, who is your favorite author? Mm. See, I'm taking too long. Uh, her name is Anne Morrow Lindbergh, and she wrote a book called Gift from the Sea. My favorite book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what does your perfect breakfast look like? Mm, maybe scrambled eggs and some grapes. Off to a good start. Okay. Uh, based on based on looks alone, whose test paper would you choose to cheat off of? Who wrote these questions? Uh, of the of the four of yes, you in yeah. front of me, um, Lance. Thanks, yeah, thanks. good choice. That's a good idea. Uh, what is your favorite place to vacation? Uh, I don't. Uh, London, London. Yes. Nice. Uh, who was your first celebrity crush? Leonardo DiCaprio. So it's the so finest so actor of our generation. Yes. I mean, I made a scrapbook the whole thing. That was the <laughs> fastest response you've had. This yeah. Whole time too, <laughs> yes. So. No hesitation. <laughs> uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? Britney Spears. If you could watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? You've got mail. Man, you're killing wow. now. On a plane, do you choose window or aisle seat? Window. Uh, what gives you goosebumps? Ooh, a really heartwarming story. No, hey, no we, sorry, we, that was this, the, we, we the wasted, timer was We up wasted some not, time. Let's, that was a good answer. Let's yeah. see how many questions Give we have a couple more. Well, you got like a little long, but 30, and I think we did maybe 15. Let's pick a couple. Yeah, she was, she had, she, I think she got to number 19, so that's that's really awesome. Yeah, so, that's not bad. Yeah. Okay. That was better than me. Okay, yeah. better. Full disclosure, Daniel Full disclosure. lost that game. I, I, actually, there's, there's two more questions I want to ask you just for, uh, you know, just for kicks. Yeah. So what part of elementary school do you wish you could incorporate into your adult life? So many nap time. Mm, yeah, that's one idea. Being, right being encouraged to eat a lot, you oh, know, clean your good. plate, all yeah. that. So, other than writing and read, or reading and writing, mm-hmm. what is your favorite hobby? I have a new hobby, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's my new favorite. But I've not done much of it, and it's like a calligraphy lettering sort of thing. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your comment. I was laughing with you touching the microphone. I know. I got me. <laughs> I was afraid I messed up this. No, setup you're fine. Here. Kyle just took that up too, not recently. So yeah. he's yes, really he's excited. About it. Y'all can talk. Listen, about I'm it. glad you said next to me. I'm feeling smarter already. You're not serious. <laughs> like <laughs> osmosis here. <laughs> no. <laughs> All 
All right, guys. So um, now that we know Cameron a little bit, uh, we're going to get into our the meat of our episode here. Um, as mentioned, October is the uh, National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. Excuse me, month. October 15th is actually the day. So if you're listening to this episode on Monday, uh, Tuesday will be the uh, the day of remembrance. So it is observed annually as a day of, rem- of remembrance for pregnancy loss and infant death. And this can include, but is not limited to, uh, miscarriage, stillbirth, SIDS, which is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, or uh, Death of a Newborn. You know, a lot of times we, we bounce back back and forth on this podcast between uh, funny topics and serious topics, but it was really on our hearts to, to do this episode because, you know, all of us are fathers and are, are married and have wives and kids mean a lot to us. And our very own um, Kyle has actually spoken publicly on the podcast about how him and his wife had, had struggles with... Um, Mis- we mis- had infertility miscarriages, and, and miscarriages, yeah. So this was just near and dear to our hearts, and, and we wanted to make sure that we, we covered it, and that's why Cameron's here today. I want to do a quick intro of Cameron, uh, just so you guys know like you know how we know Cameron and how she came to be here. And So I actually know Cameron because we used to work together. Gosh, I don't even know how many years ago it was now, like maybe oh. three, three or four years ago yeah. at least. Well, it was two years ago that I left uh-huh. there, so or a few years before yeah. So, and Cameron and I, we worked in the same department, and we really um, bonded because she got pregnant around the same time that my wife got pregnant, and I think, I want to say you were maybe about two months um, ahead of us. Cameron, um, you know, if you don't know her, she is such a meticulous planner. She's just always on top of things, and so, you know, I... Timmy, Timmy is not exactly a planner. I am. <laughs> and so I would always go to Cameron for advice on things because, because I, I wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we needed to do for, you know, when our baby came along. So I was like, oh, Cameron, uh, you know, wh- where do I sign up for these, uh, uh, you know, newborn classes? And she was always so helpful and just so helping. You, you were cheating off her homework, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, uh, and that's how Cameron and I bonded, just being able to, you know, talk through because, you know, when it, it was almost like, uh, you know, when – when two people are pregnant, I wasn't pregnant, of course, but it's like, that's all you want to talk about during the time. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just remember, uh, seeing Cameron at work, um, you know, the last couple of weeks before, you know, the delivery date. I know she wanted to do everything, you know, natural. She was just going to wait for the baby to come along and, you know, everybody was seeing her at work. And I was like, you know, I, I lose track of dates all the time. So I was like, when's your due date? And, you know, she's like, you know, just another week or two. And, um, and I remember you just, you know, seeing you in the office doing some, some work on this big whiteboard that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the last time that I remember seeing you in the office until, you know, you guys went in for your delivery date. And, um, so that's kind of how, you know, I came to know Cameron and, um, Cameron, honestly, we just, we want to hear your story and, uh, we'll just kind of let you take it from there and feel free to take it any direction you want to take it. Okay. Maybe I'll start with just a quick context of what happened maybe sure um yeah there were four of us in the department who were pregnant at the same time or it was you know two husbands and then two females who were pregnant and it was like this big baby season at work and i was so thrilled to be pregnant i we had had a hard time getting pregnant too not not to the point of actually having to have interventions or anything but we were like a month away from trying to figure out what is going on this is taking a while and then it finally happened on its own we were thrilled and that time in my life really was the happiest I have ever been. Like some long-standing random other issues in life kind of 
calm down to manageable places. We were pregnant. Um, work was going great at that time. I loved my job and I loved everyone I worked with and loved Nashville. I mean, it was a cool season of my life. And, and now looking back on it, it feels like this rise before a fall. But at the time, it just felt amazing. And we had the world's easiest pregnancy, actually. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Um, every test was, every ultrasound was wonderful. Every blood test was fine. Every, I mean, it was textbook, absolutely. Anything that you can kind of measure a pregnancy on, um, either emotionally or like a test result or the amount of weight you gain or the amount of whatever. Everything was like what they tell you to do. And um, yeah, we I, the practice I went to at the time you can go to 41 weeks, which is very normal to go to 41. Some even let you go to 42. And then, but at this one, they induce you at 41. And that sounded fine. We didn't have anything, any reason to think that anything was wrong. We, I last went to the doctor. I was overdue already. We called it my 40 week appointment, but technically it was a few days after. You know, they check and see like how far along you are and stuff like that. And like nothing was really happening. So, the choice that day was they presented me with four different days where they could induce me because we were already overdue and the 41 mark was coming in like a few days. So my biggest regret in the entire world, and I hope that this will remain my biggest regret for the, <laughs> regret for the rest of my life because I don't want anything to trump this, but I absolutely regret the date that we chose. I wouldn't have known without hindsight now, but I wish I had said today and tomorrow, whatever the first couple day options were. But we chose option three out of four because this appointment was on a Wednesday. I was not dilated. It was like a centimeter or something. It was almost nothing. And the pregnancy looked perfect. So the idea was, let's give it a few more days. Induction will probably go a little better if your body is a little readier for it. And there was no reason to think that that was risky to wait at all so we waited and that meant we were going to go into the hospital that sunday at midnight and then the baby would be born on monday morning and and i could have gone in this was a wednesday i could have gone in that very night or i could have gone in on thursday night and then the other options were like sunday night and monday night or tuesday night or something anyway it was they were all with the idea of your baby being born on a weekday hopefully by the by this ob so we chose the third option. It gave us the weekend, and we thought, okay, we'll we'll just wait for this baby. Everything's going fine. And we were, because we were overdue and everything, and, you know, I knew that technically, I mean, you can have a baby at weeks before that, and it's still full term and fine and everything. I was so ready. I mean, I had been sitting around. My house was immaculate. My projects were tied up with a bow, like everything. I was so, I, there was nothing I was waiting on besides just why not wait until 41 weeks because we can so the few days after that seemed uneventful and they were mostly uneventful and then you get to Saturday it was a pretty normal day my family came into town waiting you know ready to come meet the baby and uh, we like went out to dinner and I my husband and I watched Saturday Night Live until weekend update segment that's just like our was our habit at the time went that's to, back when it was good <laughs> it's still good you need to give it another try um <laughs> We went to bed around midnight that night, and I felt her kick a couple times, really big kicks. Like, my husband felt them without my saying anything. Like, he felt her kick him in the back through my stomach, you know, and he, he said something about it. We had a little comment about the kicking. And then the next thing that happened was I woke up at 2.30 a.m., which was just two and a half hours after I'd fallen asleep, to go to the bathroom, which was typical. Every single night around 2 a.m. that happened. But this night, I 
could tell I was in labor. I mean, it was just aggressive. It hurt so much in my stomach. And I, I got back in bed for a few minutes to kind of see uh, maybe what was happening, time it, is this real, is this not, or whatever. And it seemed to be very real. It hurt like crazy. Maybe 15 or 20 minutes after that started, I woke up my husband and said, I think this is happening. So then he's got, he got out a sheet of paper and a pencil and he's marking out like, I'm saying it started, it stopped, it started, it stopped. And he's, you know, timing the contractions and everything. And we, that morning, I mean, I remember taking a shower, drying my hair. I mean, I was just getting ready for the day because we thought we needed to wait until the contractions are, you know, five minutes apart or whatever they tell you. We waited for some hours, just kind of measuring them. And then he called the OB's office and he called the hospital and read out what we were finding. Should we come in now? Should we come in later? One of them said something really unhurried, like, you can come in now or whenever, it's fine. Like, they weren't concerned, but like, sometime soon. The other one said, come in now or like in an hour. Like, they, bo- but they both had the same vibe of like, it sounds like it's getting about that. Yeah. No, very unconcerned. Yeah. Just like, you know, take your time, but head on this way in a little bit. So that's what we did. I don't think we even waited a full hour before we left. Uh, and we lived like 20 or 25 minutes from the hospital in the first place. Um, so it may have been about an hour from those calls that we got to the hospital-ish. And we have a normal conversation on the way there. We talk about how, you know, we're off of work for however long. And next time we're in the car, it'll be three of us. And this is so crazy and just all of it. I'm in very clear labor at this point. We park, we walk in, we go to triage. They call me back. And to fast forward through a few little details, the real heart of the story is the the intake nurse, you know, one of the first things they do is, you, you know, they check for the heartbeat. She just waved that wand over and over and over. And I was like, oh God, like I started feeling so scared. Mm-hmm. And like every other time we had had an appointment, there was no problem. This was not like a, oh, this has happened a few times. Just go over here or whatever. I was thrown off completely by that. At first there's just this shock of like, this can't be, like she's not found it. She's she's never met me. She doesn't know what's going on, right. you know, she'll find it. And then it started like slowly hitting me. Slowly, of course, still being in the matter of seconds, but you right. know, it kind of goes <laughs> into this like blurry slow motion yeah. phase of like, oh no, like what if something is up? Like what, you know, and then I started thinking about it and she said something like, when have you last felt the baby kick? And I was, and I, said midnight when I went to bed you know the two kicks that my husband and I felt I know I felt her then and I couldn't remember feeling specific kicks versus contractions it's all kind of the same area and the contractions were really aggressive and stuff and I saw her face kind of fall when I said midnight when I said I wasn't sure that it had happened during the labor part and I just felt like I had answered the question wrong like I failed a test Mm -hmm. and she didn't look happy about that at all and she looked very scared and you know you Mm. You don't know what's going on. This is right. my first baby. So I'm, right. I'm taking all of my cues from her, this nurse named Amanda. And I'm looking at her face thinking, oh, God, like, this is bad. And um, But still not even fully thinking what it could be or how bad it could be either. Just like, this isn't good. And then she yells for someone else. And then ultimately an OB comes in with an ultrasound machine versus the little handheld Doppler. And once they're rolling that thing in, I'm like, this is... <laughs> this is really bad. There's no reason they should have to bring in extra equipment for this. 
And the real thing that kind of gave away the fright was that she, the nurse, went out into the lobby and got my husband. Because at this point, mm-hmm. it was just me. And she went and got him, Pete, out of the lobby and brought him back. And when he walked into the room, he looked like he had seen a ghost. I mean, he was just so panicked looking. And I didn't know if she had told him anything or if he was reading that from me because I looked mm-hmm. scared out of my mind. I, do, I didn't react when he walked in. I didn't smile or say anything. I was just staring ahead like I'm confused. And then to kind of get to the hard part, the obvious what happened is the the doctor with the ultrasound did the ultrasound and he just said, I'm sorry, something's happened. The worst words you could ever hear. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even remember exactly. I mean, I know he said that sentence. And I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he said out loud, there's not a heartbeat, but yeah. it's obvious. <laughs> right. He had already heard those words in your head. And it was like this this slow moving train hitting me and like I saw it coming um but but there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do and I'm still kind of like is it really about to hit me like this can't be true I and to this day still I mean I had no um reference for this happening this wasn't an outcome that I knew to expect I even read what to expect when you're expecting. It does not prepare you <laughs> yeah, to expect yeah, this, okay? Yeah. Or the, much of anything for that. No. Yeah. It's very general. There's a uh, there's a chapter at the very end about complications, mm-hmm. and it's after you get through the entire everything happening correctly. So to even read that part, you have to somehow think you're not going to end up like most other people do. And I had a flawless pregnancy. Right. I had no reason to think that I would be in that little freak accident kind of um, percentage and, and it sounds like based on all the data that you and you and Pete had available to you you, you made the decision that I think everyone every, every one of us would have made you know right yeah and w- I mean I have replayed the decisions just so many times we've questioned everything we've questioned our OB we've questioned ourselves we've questioned should we have been induced at this time or another should I have done this or that and we didn't have the information we have now. We, we didn't know what would happen. It was our first time, too. Right. So we I don't make any decision lightly at all. I'm very, very, very methodical. And I've had to kind of reestablish my own confidence after this to think that I can even ca- I'm capable of making decisions anymore that are still sound. Because that just shattered. I just thought, oh, God, like. I'm responsible. Right. What did I do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My wife and I struggled mightily with infertility. We were fortunate enough to kind of figure out some things that were going on, some hormone imbalances that they were able to help balance out that allowed us to get pregnant. Long, long story short, we had a, we have two children. We've been blessed with two children, a a little girl and a little boy. We had along the way had four miscarriages. Mm. One of which was a set of twins, which was really traumatic. We had, we had gotten pregnant with twins. One of them, we lost the heartbeat. The other was fine. You know, like, okay, you know, you, you get that information and immediately you're rocked, but there's this also sense of relief, like, oh my God, we lost one, but there is this amount of hope there with like, look at this heartbeat strong, it's fine. Two weeks later, we're in the emergency room finding out that one's lost, the, we lost the heartbeat. The thing that I remember about that experience, and maybe maybe you can talk about it a little bit, and I know I've, I've read uh, um, all, you, all that you've wrote on it, um, and we'll touch on that some of that later. But one thing that you said that kind of really touched me is is the in hospital environment dealing with something this tragic immediately in a hospital is the worst 
environment possible yeah. for dealing with because they have I, I guess maybe they have to be I don't know but everything's so matter of a fact I, I, I remember specifically when we were in the emergency room it was a young ER doctor she was very nice very friendly but at this point this is our fourth miscarriage she pulls us into this room and goes into this whole spiel that she's probably worked up in her mind of like this is how I need to handle this situation mm-hmm. or some one of her superiors is this is how you I remember zoning out so much like I wanted to say listen you dumb beep We've done this four times. I don't need your story. Let us just get out of here. And I remember it just being the most cold, sterile environment to where I've got to get out my 20-second speech so I can go to this next room. So Mm -hmm. are y'all good? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did I say okay, everything's okay? And, and I know here's the bill. Yeah, here's yeah. The, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. you get billed. How, just how will you be same. paying for this? Like, yeah. uh, uh, and I just <laughs> remember, I remember leaving there pissed off. Really, honestly, it, and for more reasons than one. Like, why did this happen? And I mean, couldn't they just let us sit in a room for a few minutes and just talk to each other? So you know, just kind of talk about how that was for you, because I know you wrote quite a bit about that. It was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. Um, it felt our, our story is so unusual that. It felt like nobody there knew how to handle it, which just added to the isolation that we already felt. We were asked every single time the shift changed about funeral homes. And it was like, oh my gosh, we've already told the last person. We keep having to discuss this. We don't know. We didn't come here prepared for funeral homes. We came here with our hospital bags. You know, Um, there were so many things that went terribly in that experience. And um, the hospital later redeemed not really my experience my experience is what it was but they kind of took some feedback to heart about the experience and they now have a bereavement room that's dedicated in my daughter's name and oh, had wow. a whole ceremony and everything so that people who have hard things happen there like your story or mine would be able to have some conversations in private time in a pretty space yeah that doesn't feel as sterile and i'm i'm thrilled that it exists now um it did not exist then we had a lot of issues where for instance they did not know where to physically put cora uh, because she wouldn't be in the nursery but what do we do with her and we had a lot of visitors and it was hard to figure out like where do we do we hold cora while these people are staring at us this is awkward this is weird this feels very personal and people are just watching me and um, they didn't have a good space for that, which is what later led to this bereavement space that they have now. But at the time, it was kind of a supply closet type of place where we where she was, and it was framed very differently than that when yeah. when we were hmm. when we were told about it, and it was made to sound a lot sweeter than I, it was. I guess that kind of speaks to just how rare of an event yours is, because yeah. like yeah. at forty one weeks, there's that's that doesn't happen very you often. I mean, it's so. It rare that if 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 it does happen it's often much earlier in the pregnancy or, or right. something like that instead of past full term at that point right and, and that even in today's world like that just it's just very rare right to see something like that and, and, and they I, do they obviously weren't super prepared for no. it and i think you even cited in one of your articles it was less than a one percent chance that oh it far would happen less. far less yeah less mm-hmm. than one percent chance yeah, or sometimes, you know, you occasionally hear of losses really late, but there was a medical reason where maybe the couple learned early on that the pregnancy wouldn't work out in, in the term of like a, a live baby at the end, but they carried to term or whatever. And to go all the way full term with nothing wrong medically 
and then have like a fluky thing. It, it was kind of an accident involving the umbilical cord, which can happen during labor and usually does not. Um, but that is so rare that sometimes even within the lost community, I feel like a bit of an alien because yeah. it's hard to find sort of your your peers. You have to search really hard to find people who have really, really similar stories. But yeah, the, the hospital environment was awful. I mean, that's one of the areas of the of the loss that I still just feel very haunted by. And if I were there again, of course, I wish my story were just different, but there are things I would do differently involving just even that experience but you're so blindsided that I try to have some grace with myself about you know Mm -hmm. I wasn't even a functioning human being when they asked me the questions that I had to answer at that time but it was a really weird environment to be in and another thing that's hard is you know those people who were there saw us at our most uh, profound moment of our lives and then we never heard a word from any of them again at all zero percent ever you know it kind of speaks kyle what you were saying the flip side of the coin is for them and i'm sure there's there's people listening that you know that may be in that situation that are nurses they're doctors that have been through that they have to go to the next room they they have a job to do and so much like you know a, a, a ambulance an emt or a police officer or whatever that sees something extremely tragic they unfortunately have to move on to the next person. It's yeah. like, you know, I, I would, I think that maybe they didn't respond to you or react to you in a compassionate way, maybe because they're, I don't know, they're one, they were as caught off guard, I'm sure, as you were. And two, they're probably numb to a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you imagine what, what, what they see on a daily basis. Yeah. Not that it makes it any better. But right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And quite honestly, probably they're so floored by what's going on and they have mm-hmm. no idea how to handle it. They want to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. They do too. and yeah. some of them tried really hard to, to be comforting, and you <laughs> know, you, yeah. kudos for trying, I guess, yeah, versus yeah. just staring at us. But you know, we heard so many just ridiculous things. There were people who there was one nurse who said, "I don't know why this happened to you, but I'm going to hold my babies extra close tonight." And I thought, "Screw you and your <laughs> <Yeah>. babies! <laughs> like I don't care you see about that door over there, wow. you right? Get out of you know, it. that kind of thing just makes me cringe." And you know, the there was someone who said while I was holding Cora in my arms in real life, you two would make great parents one day. And I'm like, oh, God. please oh, don't please. demote yeah. me already. You know, and that that could be a whole other Because we are parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's, that kind of thing makes my blood boil. That yeah. could be a whole other topic. But the, on, the, the way people don't acknowledge right. that my first daughter existed or counted. Yeah is really hard and it, it literally started in the hospital yeah still in my gown holding her yeah it started that early that's something that you that you had written in one of your writings that that really struck me that you have a daughter it's just your daughter will never be more than eight pounds and you know whatever ounces yes. i don't remember off the top of my head but you know there's no difference in my dad my dad had a sister that died in a car wreck in her early 20s tragedy for the family but there's that's what people don't understand even in a miscarriage situation that child had life yes it doesn't change the fact that you know luckily for my my dad he had a sister for 20 something years as much tragedy as that was but that doesn't change the fact he still had a sister he still had a sister it doesn't change the fact that you have a daughter you have you have two daughters and and it's hard for people to understand that just because 
that child or that embryo or whatever that was alive didn't make it to 25 or 30 or, or tragically died eight years old. It doesn't change the fact that that, mm-hmm. that person existed. And right. that's what's so hard for people to understand that we heard so many times, well, it just wasn't meant to work out this time. Well, well, damn it, it worked out. It just didn't, you know, we just didn't make it. We just don't have that child, We, you know. And it's so frustrating because there's so much insensitive people and I don't think they intend to be. I don't no, think so there's yeah. a lot of oh, yeah. well-intentioned, it's, it's, yeah. cruel people. People just try. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people just try to to say something. They feel like they need to say something right, when right. sometimes just your presence is, is yeah. all that people need, just or just anything. your help instead yeah. of and just keep your mouth shut. Yeah, and, and is what most people need to do. Uh, unless you're you're a close personal friend of that person, yeah. like just step back and yeah. pat them on the shoulder and say, yeah. we're here for you when you need us. But yeah, but you need then, anything, I'm going to yeah. keep my mouth shut. Yeah. yeah. So, so for you at that point, of course you've gone, gone through this. I know in some of your writings, you talk about, you know, kind of what's next. You, you, you're expected just to kind of assimilate back into your life. You know, you go home, you, you know, kind of walk us through that. What, what, what those feelings are, you know, as opposed to, you know, a family that goes, the, the same families are in the hospital with you, go home with, with their baby and they're figuring out their life, or as you go home with this this tragic loss, kind of walk us through what the next kind of phase you and your husband's life was like. Yeah, the next phase was just as dark and hollow and bottomed out as I n- can possibly imagine being. Uh, we, we the, the very, very initial stuff was just so shocking and such a blurry numbness, I guess, that... I um, I barely even I remember it very it's like I remember it clearly and I also feel kind of like what happened yeah. you know I don't even I can't even remember like which people were in my house in the first few days after yeah. that and things like that anymore but we you know we went home and it, the the whole thing just felt so wrong you know you anticipate this we anticipated it for 10 months and years of in our minds and everything and it took so long to get pregnant and everything and we go home and the whole event has come and gone and we're just back in our house with nothing but broken hearts. I didn't even have the energy to get into real clothes when I left. I walked out in my hospital gown shamelessly. Like I could not give less of a crap what I look like right now. Uh, So I walked in and I remember looking in Cora's nursery and I'm still wearing the hospital gown that I had delivered her in or maybe it was a fresh one after that but you know the the Mm -hmm. gown from being in the hospital with her and I was later thinking about it and it reminded me of there's I I have a bit of an affection for the Kennedy family I just think they're interesting and they've had a lot of tragedies too and I find them fascinating and I there's a movie called Jackie where she she returns to the White House after JFK was assassinated and she is still wearing the pink suit covered in his blood that she was wearing in the car where he was shot right next to her and I felt a little bit like that looking at Cora's nursery Mm -hmm. it was like I'm in my version of the White House in my pink suit I'm looking at her nursery in my hospital gown and it was like the gown was the thing that connected me to what had happened and made it even seem possible that this could be real like I could touch my gown on my body and be like I did already deliver her it already it happened and here I am back in the nursery I was in you know yesterday with my enormous belly and now I'm just withering away here you yeah. know in in every sense and um yeah it was rough I I I barely ate uh, you know people and this is another thing it's so hard to relate sometimes to like people when they talk about pregnancy stuff or first-time parenting or whatever and a lot of women will 
lament how their bodies changed or how quickly they lose lost their weight or things like that. I lost all of mine in 11 days because I was not eating. Like mm. I, my every system shut off. I, I ate gummy worms and stuff just to get by and I barely cared about anything. And so I, I returned to normal physically really quickly and that was heartbreaking for me too. Yeah. It was like the last kind of sign of her went away so fast yeah. and I mean, but you know you still have a postpartum body so i still had milk and everything for months right. no one to feed and um i had a maternity leave from work that i stayed out for nine weeks i mean i had the same physical healing that anyone would would have uh, but just emotionally and mentally it was just absolutely awful and uh my husband stayed out of work for a month of that and it was brutal i mean i I care a lot about word choice and I try to write and everything to capture it, but I will never have the words for how hollow we felt. I mean, it was just unbelievable. There's, I think like when when your child dies, especially when it's so unexpected and it even happens at the moment when you expect the happiest moment of your life, there's this rip in how you view the entire universe. It's like, oh, this can happen? Okay, well, anything's fair game now. Nothing is safe. If this can happen, nothing is safe. Yeah, the initial stuff, it was just so shocking. And like Lance said earlier, like I was pregnant with so many other people in and out of work. And it was just a season of constantly hearing that all of their babies made it fine. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was brutal. So a question... From from my perspective, I guess from from mm-hmm. the male perspective, you're sitting with a bunch of guys in this room. How did y'all go through that together separately those first few weeks? How how was your relationship different from from the point when Cora died to after going home? You know, how did y'all cope with that as a couple? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you dealt with what is in your mind. He was dealing with his mind, but how did y'all? How was that together as a couple? We were on different pages for a long time. I remember in the hospital, he actually seemed more shaken than I did. It took me hours to even cry. Even after they said that she had died, I was stunned more than I was anything else. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I I was very shaky. Just in shock. I was literally shaking like a leaf, and if I took a really deep breath, it would stop for a second, but I didn't cry for a while, and Pete was beside himself. I've never seen such a broken-looking person than when he found out. And, yeah, in the first few days, too, I, I really thought, he was going to maybe have more trouble with it than than I was. Yeah. And then it kind of turned and it was like his coping mechanism mechanism was to just kind of be normal all of a sudden and it really grated on my nerves. Like he he would be like I'm going to go to the grocery store. You know, he would he would do normal things and he had a lot of his personality back like 2 days after we got home. I mean, yeah. it was so quick that it seemed like he was kind of fine outwardly and I knew he wasn't. Yeah. But he acted so normal, and I didn't even pretend. I mean, I was just openly depressed. And when we were we were on very different wavelengths with how broken we we allowed ourselves to get almost. I, I don't know if that's even the right way to describe it, but there was a time that summer, this happened in early June of 2016. There was a time in July when we tried, attempted to go on a family beach trip with extended family. It was a train wreck, but I remember crying in the car one night thinking like, I think I might lose my marriage too, actually. 
Like, yeah. and I won't even be that surprised. Like, anything that spare point, game, you like were just I like, said. Yeah, nothing's yeah, guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Just punch me in the face. And yeah, yeah, like, I don't, nothing would shock me that badly anymore. It was just, it was a low point where I just thought, he's not going to be able to put up with how upset I am. I'm, I'm crying all the time. I won't talk about anything else. Like, I wasn't spending, I spent all of my free time trying to research exactly what happened, how, when, why, mm-hmm. how could it, you know, I talked to yeah. umbilical cord researchers on the phone and, connected with all these people in the lost community and I literally did not want to talk about anything else and to have other topics mentioned in my presence felt actually insulting to me like you think we're going to talk about that when Cora died you know and Pete just as a survival mechanism I mean he he tried to rally himself a little bit quicker than I even began to think about that and then I would it was hard at first. Yeah. I think that I, w- I was certainly hard to live with because I was so depressed. And yeah. he was hard to live with because I he didn't want to go there that much. And there was a really, really long stretch of time where I didn't even hear him say her name because he, he couldn't. I mean, yeah. he was having to shove it down a little. And then over time, he's gotten so much more outspoken and talkative and open about it. And like now we're at that point where I'm like, oh, there's nothing that could tear us apart. I mean, we yeah. are thick as thieves. Mm-hmm. And and yeah and we we talk about Cora every day she comes up all the time I mean she she Mm. literally comes up somehow every day in conversation she's on my mind 100% of the time and you know now we're able to talk about it differently he talks about it with other people and that alone has been such a shift that we can talk about it together because I felt so alone even in my marriage because I I couldn't talk to him about it I was bringing him further down and then I would feel guilty when I kind of forced the topic because I knew he wasn't really wanting to talk about it yeah. all the time. And he's trying his hardest to be the stable person. Someone's in this family has to buy the groceries. And you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And I, you know, I wanted to be supportive of his big efforts to, to try to keep things going. But I couldn't do anything but wallow. And I needed to talk about it so much. And. And he, he's, you know, other than myself, I mean, he's the person closest to the story. Right. So mm-hmm. I wanted to rehash things with him. Okay, like what time was now at, at 4 a.m.? Do you remember if the contractions were like this? Now, what time did I take the shower? You know, like I wanted to replay all this stuff. And he's the only one who knew the answers. And over time, like the questions and the ruminating and all that has calmed a little, even on my side. Right. And we can talk about lots of other things now and everything. But... It was rough on our marriage for a while. And statistically, parents who lose children don't make it. It's yeah. likelier that you end sure, up yeah. divorced yeah. than that you stay together. And I, there were moments where I thought, I don't see how anything could survive this. Yeah. I don't even individually want to survive this. I mean, I was to the point of screaming on the edge of the bed, like, I hope I die in my sleep tonight. You know, yeah. I mean, and I meant yeah. it. Yeah. I absolutely meant it. And it took me a very long time to kind of almost get out of my own personal hell enough to see that like he's hurting like hell too right yeah. you know and that he is worth living for too and it, because I, I later realized man when I make comments like that that could be taken as extremely hurtful to him like yeah. I you're not even enough for me to live for you yeah. know and that's not what I meant I was right. just so depressed right yeah. so what finally pulled you out of that pit and out of that thing where you could experience other things and talk about other things and get on the same same wavelength was it grief sharing with other people or or you know getting with other groups or uh counseling or or what what got you to that point what helped you get to that point it was everything you just named (laughs) and just a huge passage of time um i mean it's been three years now and 
we not to say that you're ever no, getting over it or, or right. out of that no. you're gonna have that always piece of depression with you for forever always and it is a piece of depression mm-hmm. I mean and it's just it's always there I think yeah passage of time helped connecting with other people in the lost community helped uh, we both went to counselors I still go to one we uh, just had to keep living our lives I guess even though it it it's never been the same it's never been the same and and a big thing that helped too is I later had another daughter and getting to do some of the things that we expected to do the first time the second time helped fill a bit of the void although I'm also very careful to be sure that my my living daughter I I do not want her to ever feel like she's the replacement or the fixer or the whatever. I want her to have her own thing and it's not her responsibility to heal us or fix us, but she's done a very good job of, of helping us um, just to feel a little bit more like normal people. Like in fact, having her has probably, if a single isolated event could help us get a little closer to the people we were, it it was having our second daughter because then, you know, it became a little bit easier to even talk to other parents right. about anything. You know, prior to having her, it's like we were just cornered. It was like if someone brags about their kids, you just want to trip them as they walk by. I mean, like you're just so mad yeah. that this person dares talk about happy stuff in front of you. But then if they complain, you're like, oh, yeah, you want to complain about your kid? Yeah, sit down. I got a story. To tell I'd you. really yeah. like to tell you how much yeah. I'd love for my kid to be doing that annoying thing right now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Um so it it was hard for us to relate to anybody in the parenting world until we had our our next daughter. And then yeah, like you said, there's there's a piece of sadness that's always there. It's just a layer of me now. You know, in our in in our situation it was with the miscarriages, but we were in a, a Sunday school class. Adam and I go pretty good ways back as well as Daniel and we we were in this class with Adam and it was you know, a great group of young couples that we were all kind of coming up together, having a great time, you know, doing the church thing together, but hanging out a lot, traveling together. We were having a lot of fun, and then it kind of switched in. Everybody started having kids, and we along are trying to do the same thing. And at first, we struggled with infertility, and then, you know, come miscarriages. And for us, it was just like we would go to our Sunday school and church and sit there, and it was like, Hey, we got you know we'd like to ask for prayers. We got announced, but we're pregnant, mm. and you're just sitting there like it was literally once a month. It was it was unbelievable. It was crazy. Once a month, yeah, a couple years. Pregnant. Pregnant. Yeah, and we would and and at this point we're we're on our own. We haven't told anybody we're struggling with this. You know, we're still getting the hey, when y'all gonna have kids? Oh, you know, God, how long y'all gonna? Yeah, yeah. I, I finally got to a point where I'd tell. I almost took pleasure in telling people. I got so blunt that I was probably the biggest jerk in the world. Like. Well, we've been pregnant twice, and we've had miscarriages. And just, I would take joy in watching that person's face. It's like, um, uh, you know, this that blank stare, not yes. knowing what to say, and how can I get out of this conversation? I took pleasure in that, really. We would leave, and my wife would cry all the way home, all Sunday. It got to the point, I said, we're done. We're not going back. You know, we love those people. We still love them. And like you said, we didn't get a lot of that healing until we were able to to, to get pregnant and and deliver Emory and you know she's a great kid but it was just like you know we can't keep doing this this mm-hmm. is this is wrecking you it's wrecking us and it's funny you talk about that with with Pete's it's Pete right yeah Pete's reaction shout out Pete thanks yeah. for letting <laughs> us yeah. borrow camera for yeah. tonight he's awesome he's the uh, best yeah <laughs> he really I don't is. know you Pete but you did good um, <laughs> he you know for us it was 
she was very much outward crying, trying to cope. I was much bottled up. I'm going to get make sure the grass is cut and the house is clean. It got to the point for me, and, and I shared this one, and when we opened up each other, it helped a lot and opened up to other people, but I would I would go and play golf out late in the afternoon, and I'd go break my golf clubs. That was, And I've told this story on there. That's how I would go, which in, in looking back was not the right way to do it because I was internalizing it, doing it on my own. I needed to share that with her, but and for her, it was, well, he's just not, he's just not feeling the same. Mm-hmm. What's I don't know what the right word. He's not feeling the same remorse, or he's not tore up about this. When in fact, I was so filled with rage that I would have to go out by myself and snap my golf clubs on trees to feel better. When so I, I see a, that kind of similar to what you know. I don't know if it's a male female thing, but I did the same thing. It's like I'll bottle it up. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll try to absorb some of your pain and bottle it up. And then I'll just go off to myself and deal with it by myself. And, you know, looking back, I, I wish I would have handled it differently, obviously. But I, I see a lot of what you were saying in your story about about what we dealt with in, in kind of separate ways. And it was a struggle for us as a couple. Oh, yeah. And some sometimes I would kind of see him crack, and it was like, oh, yeah, he's hurting so much. Yeah. I mean, and he still is. We both always will. Something you that, that you wrote struck me, too, where – at some point, it transitions to where there's a lot of anger because people want to think that Cora didn't exist. Like, yes. you, you'd you written about, like, going to a coffee shop and writing her name on so you could hear her name. Oh, yeah. You, you say that your name is Cora, and then yeah. the person goes, Cora, mm-hmm. for your drink. That's a way to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, the, I guess, the next transition is it's just that missing, there not being a presence of the child there, the, the missing of that kind of, that's the next, I guess, transition in that where you long to hear people talk about her and, and say her name. So, you know, I guess that was kind of the next phase of things for y'all is just the kind of the absence, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think people are so hesitant because they, there's this notion that they will remind you of something awful that happened. They don't want to bring you down or whatever. And the truth was I was always down. <laughs> I was always, I was always thinking of her. And when people would talk about her, it actually met me where I was versus doing anything negative and yeah one of my big things is just I feel very unseen and unknown when it's not acknowledged because it's the biggest most important moment and story of my life and then when it's just blown right past and one of the things about having my my newer daughter that is kind of actually hard is that she people fixate on her now and it's like we know who we can talk about this one yeah you know and and that can i i love talking about her too but it can sometimes be there's this itch that i have of just like i wish someone would just acknowledge right yeah it's like you can't just sweep it under the even just a nod to the fact that this isn't the only child i've had yeah yeah i don't know a a while back i was talking to a co-worker who her, her father had passed away and I had known him, went to church with him for a while, and, and had known her family. And it was 18 months, two years after he passed away, and I just was talking to her about him and saying saying some stuff. I honestly didn't think anything of it. And then, like, two days later, she said something. She was like, you know, when you were talking about my dad the other day, I just wanted to say thank you. Because, mm-hmm. like, people just, you know, want to ignore it and not talk yeah. about it and not, uh, you know, or are afraid to bring up. Uh, those those hard feelings and are afraid of hurting your feelings or afraid you know a, a, out of fear not talking about it but like you said it's it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to you and it's it will always be the I mean hope to goodness it will always be the biggest thing that ever happened to you 
And and when people avoid that, it is like they're avoiding a large part of who you are today. Yeah, and you just feel further isolated. Like mm-hmm. nobody can handle me. You know, nobody's going to want to talk to me. People are avoiding me. It's not coming up. I feel like I need to censor myself. I do the same thing you mentioned where I drop grief bombs onto things sometimes where I you know, I was uh, talk to someone about pregnancy and I'll be like, well, but you never know. And you know, <laughs> just because I'm like, you don't. And it, yeah. it's hard for me to pretend that, you know, only the yeah. second story I had is the real, you know, that that's the only one I've ever had. That's not the only story. Right. You know, the first one was far m- more unusual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it's uh, like when Lance texted me about coming on this, I was actually excited. I was yeah. on a plane and I got the text when I landed and I showed it to Pete and was like, oh my gosh, I get to talk about Cora. There are people who sought me out to ask me to tell her story and to talk about it. Like that warms my heart so much because you, it is so rare that you feel that way. A lot of times I feel like I'm forcing it and kind of just yeah forcing it into conversation and then i say you know later i think about it and i'm like oh should i have mentioned it yeah. you know and i don't ever want to feel like i can't talk about yeah my you said i think you wrote that that your daughter cora had become a conversation stopper Absolutely. and that was the worst feeling you know you could have well, and i think it just comes down to people just don't know what to say um obviously they most people have not been through that kind of an event and then secondly they just don't know maybe they see you in a good mood or you're laughing. The last thing they want to do is just kind of bring you down in the, in their yeah. mind, because I would feel that way. Right. You know, I, I would, if you and I were talking and, and you were in good spirits and laughing about something, the last thing I want to want to do is to ask you something that would quote unquote, bring you down when in reality, that's what you want me to do. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I, right. I, I personally would never, I wouldn't know that. And I'm right. sure most people don't. And to be fair, sometimes when you're the, grieving one you have really particular random unpredictable preferences too because there have been times actually i should say there's like a tiny caveat where things were i wasn't like doing great exactly but for me to get through whatever i was doing you know a meeting at work or some part of some day it may have caused me to dissolve into tears if somebody had brought it up so there were there have been times when i was relieved it didn't come up either but i would say anytime i'm really in a conversation where there's any amount of privacy and it's any amount of depth and has anything to do with children i really 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 prefer that she comes up but yeah sometimes there have been moments where i was actually relieved too that that it didn't so it's not it's not clear to to people outside of it what to do and that's part of what just kind of stinks about the whole thing and this is a good that was this is a good psa for all your family and friends (laughs) yeah yeah right right and that was actually going to be an ask of us is um you know from speaking with other people in the community like is that something that you think the majority of people want or are there other ways that some people on the outside can can support uh, bereaved mothers in a different way or, or do you think that's one of the best ways is just to try to talk to them yeah i think that most people absolutely want their children to be mentioned uh, by name preferably and to be included in any head counts and that would be the number one thing yeah and just to check in on people that's another thing i think is that at some point people there's like this empathy fatigue that comes over people where it's like i have already talked to her about that four times and it's been three years or you know whatever yeah but it is an ongoing battle journey whatever you want to call it and i think another kind of ask of the bereaved parenthood community would probably be like 
keep checking in because it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, there can be days where you feel like you can <clears throat> sort of make it okay-ish, and then the next day you're just like, I cannot even believe this is my story. I just feel sucker punched. You know, this is awful. I'll never fit in anywhere. Everyone acts like this doesn't happen. It happened to me and, you know, all of that. So just consistency. You said about the head counts, like on Mother's Day, if we happen to be at church or there was something, it was like, you know, it, it sounds innocent enough, but it's like, all right, I want all the kids to come down and we've got flowers at the front. Pick up a flower and walk it back to your mother. And, you know, we'd be sitting there like, oh, boy, this is this is great. You know, we're sitting here struggling with this going on. You feel like you're the only one in the whole auditorium. You're sitting in there like, oh, my God. And I'm oh, looking yeah. at my wife, and she's over just tearing up, like, you know, we're never going to be able to have kids. And, you know, I've always made a point to tell people, like, look, just because somebody doesn't have a child in their arms does not make them any less of a mother. It may be a situation like you've been through or, or even people dealing with miscarriages or people that will never be able to have – there there are men and women who are way better parents to kids that are not their blood, that can never have children, that do a way better job of raising it, whether it's nieces, nephews, kids in a classroom. I always encourage people to say, hey, man, just because they're not holding a baby in their arms or they don't have a kid following them around everywhere, that doesn't make them any less a mother or a father. So that's kind of something I learned out of that whole experience was that your blood does not have to come out, out of you for you to be a parent. So I guess as we're kind of wrapping up here, I wanted to actually go back to the uh, the room that was dedicated to Cora. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it. I know it has her name in it, but what is like the full name of the room? It's called the Cora June Room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they have like I, I I heard about it at work. I, I didn't know it was happening until like the day of, and I thought it was the coolest thing when when I heard about it, and I was really happy for you. But so if somebody is in that room, like what? They, they have I, th- I think you told me they donated a lot of books to the room and, and what else is in there right there are a couple of sofas and like a bassinet where the baby can be and the room just feels dignified I mean it's mm-hmm. clean it's pretty it's you know the lighting is warm there's a little lamp and a table and I donated some books and I ordered these little book plates that mentioned Cora on them and I stuck them in the front of each book so that like one of the random things that I wish we had done when we still had her physically with us in the hospital I wanted just the normal parenting moment of like reading your kid a book and we didn't do things like that we were talking about funeral Mm -hmm. homes and stuff and I just thought maybe if a book were there someone would do something like that with it you never know and it's it's such a completely different space than it was that Pete and I were both questioning whether it was really the same room that we had been in before. It's right. it's a room where the room where Cora had spent some time that was more of like a closet at the time and we knew that it was it was on the same hall as where we had been but it looked so different that we c- truly couldn't believe that maybe that was even the same space. It is such an improvement. The way it looked before was just horrific, terribly yeah. insulting. It was a just awful it's terrible and what hospital is this at that's at centennial medical center yeah um but it's a very nice space now we were so touched by the whole effort that they redid the room they had a dedication ceremony that we we went we both spoke at it and it was beautifully done it's it's such a needed space whether for people who are there with their children running out of time needing to check out or whatever you you have this time this feeling of like how much you know you have to cram in all this love into just this little hospital stay which is awful but then there's also um you know there are people who have hard conversations in there maybe Mm -hmm. they got a bad diagnosis and they could go to that room 
to have that conversation versus being in a hospital bed with beeping machines yeah. and stuff everywhere. So it could be used a few different ways. Yeah. Did you say you, you knew that they were going to do this for you or did they kind of surprise it? It was a little of both. On my last day of work, I uh, so Lance and I used to work for the company that owns Centennial. On my last day of, of work when I resigned, uh, my, my manager and my best friend there told me that they had decided to, they had done all of the magic that needed to be done to change that room because I had confided in both of them about my experience. And of course they're crying, I'm crying, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They're having, the room is changing and everything. And then it was about a year after they'd said that they were going to change the room that they came over to my house for lunch one day. And by this point, I don't work for the company anymore. And they they told me that the room was done, that it had happened. and. Uh, by this point, I've had my other daughter. I just thought they were coming over to have lunch with me. I had stayed in touch yeah. with both of them. It, was, it did not seem weird to me that they were both coming over. And they said the room was finished. It looks amazing. They had seen it. And then Pete and I went and previewed it. This was about a year ago now. We went and previewed it before the dedication just to get that like initial kind of trauma of yeah. being back on that yeah. floor just to kind of have that hit us without an audience. I knew it was going to happen as of when I resigned, but then like in that year when I didn't hear anything, I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't ask anyone about it because I thought, you know, it may have fallen through. I don't know. I don't I don't know what what the deal is, but they totally did make it happen. Oh, and awesome. yeah. carry I mean it looks so much better than I would have imagined, so much better than it did. And the whole thing was handled uh, that that stage of the process was handled so well and that was really through people who knew me personally very well um they just worked really hard and pulled strings and worked their magic and it it made a huge difference to, for how we view the whole experience now last night my uh, i was laying in bed with my daughter who's mm -hmm. eight and and uh, she surprised me with a question that kids do sometimes she said you know basically why do bad things happen to yeah. people mm -hmm. and uh which is a profound question and deserves a profound answer and i'm sure i gave a really stupid answer but <laughs> but um but going back to this tell us about some some other good things that have come up i mean kyle's mentioned your writings um kind of plug a little bit what mm -hmm. you've been doing since then and 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 how you've connected with other people that have been through the same situation yeah i i started writing well i've i've been a writer in some way my whole life every job i've ever had was in writing my major was journalism yeah, i mean it's just what i've always done but after she died i started writing a lot kind of within the lost community so I became a contributor at a website called Glow in the Woods, which is for, um, it's a lost community for in, for um, child loss. And I began writing there, and then I wrote a handful of other essays that I've sent to different publications to run. And I have a couple others that are kind of pending with places right now. And then, I mean, I think one of the biggest differences is that I kind of lean into hard stuff now in a way that I didn't. And I think that's where, like, knowing Lance with everything with Jackson I think for instance if Cora had lived and everything had been fine and then Jackson got his diagnosis I would have been just tongue-tied what do I say what do I do you know and on the other hand like when I hear something like that now I, I actually feel drawn into it I mean I feel compelled to ask more to know more to I in fact it comforts me to talk to other people who have things that they're really wrestling with and I don't think I shied away from that in the past, but I would not have leaned into it the same way. 
so if you could say that that's a positive maybe then that's come from it it's a it's like it's a positive that i wish i didn't have like i would right. love to still live in you know innocent oblivion and to think that things work out better than they do or have for me uh, but there have been moments where i've had like extremely heartwarming conversations with people and it's because i know it's because of cora i wouldn't have had that conversation mm-hmm. you know my husband and i were just on a trip a couple weeks ago we were in idaho and i met a a family who had lost a child to sids when he was five months old many years ago and i would have not known what to say and i may still not have known that's not my story either but i ended up getting coffee with the mom i talked to the the father about it for like an hour and a half about grief and it was like this feels comfortable to me yeah, it's it's so hard to explain, but I totally agree. It's like sometimes I feel, you know, like I'm I'm just different, you know, like I can't talk. I can't carry on normal conversations anymore. But when, you know, you and I were talking, it's like it, it feel it just feels right because like you get it and I get it. And um, something about just talking with somebody else who's gone through something traumatic there's just something about it that's unexplainable, but it, it is comforting in a way. Yeah. It's like you wish that neither one of you had the story. Right. Right. But if you're both going to feel lonely and sad, it's like, I'm glad I can admit to you that I feel this way too. Or, yeah. um, and you at least get it. When I tell you this is the way I'm yeah. feeling, you understand. Right. You, know, you understand yeah. And each you're other. not just thinking, yeah. oh, I can't imagine. It's yeah. like, I can imagine. Yeah. And it's awful. And I, I see you. Yeah. you know, I see you in your pain. Sad Parent Club. That's Sad Parent Club. Yeah, that's what we, we called it that. <laughs> so, so I guess the last couple of minutes, I'd just like to, to honestly give you the floor. Just kind of talk about if you could give advice to people that are that are going through similar things, whether it's, you know, it's infant loss or loss of a loved a child or miscarriage or anything. Give them your, your piece of advice or what you would tell them to know they're not alone. That is the hardest question I've been asked because it's – Job, there's not a simple answer i wish there were i wish that were like it's a five-step program and then you get better you know i guess yeah. you just yeah that'd be nice <laughs> wouldn't that be great um i mean hang in there feels way 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 too trite but passage but sometimes of, that's what it takes yeah i mean yeah. it's just one of those on. things you just you have to face it okay here's my real answer <laughs> i think you have to face it head on i think you have to be willing to talk about the hard stuff Talk to a therapist about it. Read books that seem depressing to everybody else. Have Reach out to other people who also have sad stories. And it might seem like you're wallowing or you're seeking out depressing things, but if that's where you are, I think you feel f- more like yourself and freer in a way to just let your grief breathe than to be caged in and like, oh, I, I can't, I'm going to stuff this down, you know? Right. So I... I the one of the websites that I write for people say all the time on there be gentle with yourself and that also has gotten to a cliche place for me because I hear it so much but it's true yeah where it's like if you don't feel like going to a birthday party for a kid your kid's age who is not alive anymore don't go and you don't even have to apologize yeah you know <laughs> and it's hard for me I'm a kind of dot the I's cross the T kind of person I like to feel like I'm reliable and responsible and all that and I feel like I let people down sometimes because I can't I can't attend things that I wish I could or there are things I wish I could do that I it tears me up more than it would bring up the situation mm. if I did go right that you have to protect yourself so I would say yeah be gentle with yourself protect yourself lean into the grief I've just had to face it and 
at the risk of feeling very, very alone in it at times. It's the only way I knew to handle it was to be truthful that it was there. Yeah, those are the main those are the main things I guess I would say is just feel what you feel. And, and how can people contact you or, or find your writings and stuff? Can you plug your social? Sure. So I'm not on any real social media. That Good was, for you. Good. That was another yeah. thing I did. Yeah. As soon as I got home from the hospital after Cora was delivered, I went on to Facebook and, and deactivated. I was like, this is not the place for me. <laughs> I am not welcome here. I do not want to be here. But I do have a website where some of my, where actually, I think all of my writing about loss is on there. And it's CameronDunlapWriting.com. And there's a contact me form on there where people can reach me. And I love hearing from people. That's one of the things that can be the most fulfilling, I guess. Again, I wish I just didn't have the story at all. But right. given that this is my life, I love it when I hear from people who were impacted in some way or related in some way. and back to the question about how to get through it, I think I could probably have summarized everything I just said in a rambly way with be honest. Just be honest yeah. with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm not I'm not trying to win awards for like being the most like happy she bounced back kind of I'm like when people yeah. even say to me like you're doing so well I'm like you don't know that. <laughs> like yeah. someone this past weekend told me I was thriving and I thought, oh, I'm actually having a hard weekend and she has no idea. They yeah. see you put together or whatever. And you I literally saw me for 30 seconds and you think I'm thriving. Yeah. Like, okay. And you feel very unseen sometimes when you know how much you're hurting still or whatever. And I think that the best way for me has always been like, I'm not going to win awards for having like the most Pollyanna attitude about it. If I'm going to inspire, it's not going to be from that. It's going to just be from being honest. Like, just be honest with yourself. I think it, it's easier on you, and people know what they're dealing with when they speak to you and, and talk to you and everything. Cameron, before we close, I uh, actually wanted to read a uh, paragraph from one of your articles, if that's okay. Sure. The article is Confetti, and you can find it on the Glow in the Woods site. But this is definitely my favorite article, and the reason I want to read this paragraph is because after I, I basically – you know, get choked up every time I read it. And it's just one of those things that sticks with you. And, you know, I want people to make sure that, you know, they, they remember Cora because I feel like after reading this, like I'll, you know, never forget anything about her or your situation. So this was I'll my just, favorite as well. I'll just yeah. read it real oh, quick if that's I'm all curious. right. Yeah. All right, here we go. I've never signed my name next to mother on anything besides funeral home paperwork. I'm not having play dates. No one's asking for updates on my child. My plans for Cora's first birthday party are forever stuck in a detailed Word document. I'm not looking up parenting advice online. Instead, I follow bereaved mothers, learning tips like, put your child's name on your order at Starbucks so you can hear somebody say it out loud. And Cora won't have back-to-school photos or monthly growth updates or silly pictures with spaghetti sauce smeared all over her face and hair. She'll never weigh more than 8 pounds and 4.6 ounces. She'll never be taller than 21 and a half inches. Her APGAR score will always be zero. Her lips weren't as pink as live babies, and her skin wasn't as peachy. But I'll be damned if I've ever seen a child I thought was more beautiful and exquisite or who had the potential for a more impressive life than my girl. Appreciate you being here, Cameron. I know all of us do. And Cora, I know, has touched us and everyone else. You know, we'll never forget her, and just thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you all so much for, for having me.
I want to take a moment to personally thank Cameron for coming in and sharing the story of her daughter, Cora. The amount of bravery it takes to open up and share her thoughts and feelings should not be lost on any of us. If you're a listener to this podcast, you know that the subject hits heavy for my wife and I. I urge you to take some time and head over to Glow in the Woods and read Cameron's post. They are great insight into the pain and suffering that comes with child loss. One thing in her writing really struck a chord with me. Cora was innocent and flawless, born to a mother and a world that are messy, tender, sometimes lovely, and uncontrollably, heartbreakingly imperfect. I don't think you can say it much better. This world is full of love, joy, happiness, but unfortunately, it is also burdened with hate, depression, heartbreak, and loss. The truth is, while we are fortunate to be alive on this earth, it comes with the reality that we are all going to suffer. At times, it seems that some suffer more than others. We have all heard the saying, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? As much as it seems, this just isn't true. Bad things happen to all types of people. Even the Bible confirms that in Matthew 5:45, So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. So in closing, this world is a broken place that comes with a lot of pain and suffering. I take great faith in knowing that when my time here is done, I will take my place in a realm of perfection with my Heavenly Father. And the thing I look most forward to is being reunited with the four babies I never got to meet. God bless and have a great week. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. The denominators are Ryan Smith, Kyle Binkley, Daniel Knox, Lance Jones, and me, Adam Ray. Thanks to Chet Roberts for providing our music. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and tell a friend. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CommonPod. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D. And if you have a question or a comment for our group or you'd like to submit an idea for a future podcast, please email us at commondenominators at gmail.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.